Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to Real Talk with Demented Mole Molecast. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Um, we're going to start off by dispelling a number of myths that may have cropped up in the uh, five or so days since Leinster uh, won by two scores against Munster and were repeatedly 14 points up. Um, it, it appears that uh, everyone has rewritten the story of this game as it was some kind of classic as if Leinster Munster had never had a good game before and that uh, the ref was to blame for anything that they were dissatisfied with the game about. Looked to me an awful lot like he got all the big calls right. What would you think? Particularly the uh, ones revolving around Keith Earls. That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I thought... In both in real time immediately when it happened and then only more so afterwards that it was a stonewall penalty try that would have been a penalty try in any professional game in any league. Uh, I was listening to um, whichever podcast. Must have been, must have been uh, second captains because Simon Hague was on it. Uh, I don't think there's like, I think it was Torn who said it seemed extreme that Keith Earls was yellow carded. It was ridiculously excessive. Those are in non-derisive quotation marks. Quasi-derisive. Um, it doesn't seem extreme. It's completely... there. It's the laws of the game. You know, if you decide you don't like the laws of the game because, you know, your team is subject to them, <laughs> there's no point in following the game of rugby. Like, there's, there's a... They're just the laws. Everyone plays by them. If it had been a Leinster player to done it, the Leinster player would have got yellow carded. We talked about the double jeopardy uh, instance as well last year. In football, immediate, with, regards to, with regards yeah, to soccer. With regards yeah. to football, because immediately when it happened, I thought to myself, oh, it's the, dub- it's the double jeopardy. Um, but the double jeopardy is, well, keeper... Keeper gives away a penalty in a one-on-one, but he doesn't He yeah. doesn't get done. It well, happens so it doesn't Cup. happen to keepers anymore. Uh, keepers will get sent off won't get sent off if they're the last man unless because keepers are generally trying to get the ball so if they're like stick a hand out and trip over the guy you don't get a red card anymore same with the defender Phil Jones in the FA Cup final lunged in trying to get the ball off Aiden Hazard didn't get a red card gave away a penalty no card whereas Colombian guy in the World Cup sticks his hand out blocks a goal bound shot gets a red card because it's just cynical play so they have changed it somewhat you can still get sent off and give away a penalty so there's probably there's there's probably scope to change the laws of rugby if you think that the the double jeopardy is too harsh a sanction, but that fails to recognise that it is the law. And certainly when it happened, I just wondered would Whitehouse have the guts to give what I thought was a pretty it was just a pretty clear penalty try because mm-hmm. it was so close to the line, uh, and rugby's got more professional more cynical uh in in recent seasons that guys will take dives guys 
will, if they get pushed or hit, no, they'll go down a bit easier than they might have done when you know everyone was just smashing each other in the head and then going for a point afterwards. Uh, and that's that's human nature, I guess. The the incentives are more are starker uh, when you get paid win bonuses and there's um, there's cash on the line uh, both for that particular instance and you know for your season uh, that's actual money tied to it. Um, there's a few. I thought the scrums, I thought the repeated scrums underneath the posts. I didn't I didn't understand from what he was uh what he was signaling or the way the scrums broke up, what he was penalizing. Like sometimes if a scrum goes round, it's just it's gone round. You just reset the scrum and give the scrum to the yeah, attacking team again. Of it in, in that game. And I, I felt that um by giving penalty after penalty after penalty, he, the the ref was really making a stick for his own back because I was sort of thinking to myself He's gonna to have to give a penalty try here, but I think he should have given a penalty try. But not that I thought that. Uh, I didn't think there was a huge amount really wrong going on in those scrums. It's just you can have too many laws in scrums, and it makes it too complicated. That's something we've said forever. But I, I yeah. thought in that case when he was giving penalty after penalty, I think there there's four penalties at scrum time in a row. So I, I thought that the fourth should have been a penalty try. Now they scored off it. Well, they scored off. Sorry, they scored off the following one and converted it. Um, so the the argument is that that would have changed everything because Leinster would have been down to fourteen men. Next thing that happened was Ross Byrne kicked off the ball. Stephen Archer for the second time in the game, not because he was tired, because he had six scrums in a row, because he'd done it the previous kickoff as well. Just gave away a really cheap penalty. Um by blocking McFadden off the ball and the game was out to eight points again with six and a half minutes left um, so beautifully I sold by Fergus McFadden it must be said who like got blocked the first time didn't get the penalty peeled vociferously second time Archer made it even more obvious like I looked in his oh, face as comedy. he turned around it was absolute comedy stuff and it was just like oh sorry go on Oh, so the, that's what I, I thought. I thought those, that run of scrum penalties should have been led to to a yellow card because it's a norm. It's what we've come to expect. Um, but oh. then the other one, the one that's pr- prompted most um, debate and conjecture, s- fucking stupidity, is is the the fourteen point swing, which was just not like there is no fourteen point swing. I found as I, I still find I always if you're on a team that uh, bleeds vociferously about the ref and it's it's not just an Irish thing but uh, the second captains guys again we said this last year like steer away from refereeing decisions as often as possible whereas other shows just go straight for it and complain about the referee and I think that you can get an awful persecution complex and it's an easy out when you start complaining about the referee because there's always a villain and it's never your fault. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's a dangerous road to go down. I'd certainly never encourage it. There's, there's times that you're frustrated, but ultimately like they, they never replay those matches because people were unhappy. Never. Uh, Scotland, Australia, remember that last second yeah. decision? Like That was far wronger than anything that happened in Munster versus Leinster. Tell you what, the most, the worst decision I've seen in any rugby game recently, in the last, you know, whatever, dark period of time, five years since the last World Cup, whatever it is. Roman Poit 
at the at the end of the Lions test where he was oh. like where he's like I've just given a penalty but I actually don't want New Zealand to win the test series this way so I'm just going to convert it to a scrum. That is the most ridiculous decision. That was ridiculous. Oh yeah, that's the spirit of the game. And it wasn't it was in the spirit of the game in like that fucking Welsh movie where the ball deflates on that they play the game again 6 years later. Uh, that was in the spirit of the game, but it was a nonsense. But listen, getting back to that to that 14 point swing it's uh, it's not a 14-point swing. The guy who was there, the touch judge, said it was a intentional knock-on. I don't think it was. But it would have been a penalty anyway. Or even if he just decides it's a knock-on, it's still a, a Lancer scrum deep in, in Munster's half. So I came out of that game thinking that that was a really good, really professional and business-like performance from um, you know an understrength Lancer side. Thought Munster had some decent moments in it, but then I was I was I was walking back on my gammy foot, and uh, I was looking at Twitter, and people were <laughs> firstly people were calling it a Derby Classic, and secondly everyone said, "Oh, well done, Leinster 16th man." I didn't uh, didn't see that from the game, but that's not the first time that sort of dissonance has happened. I remember we were at the the New Zealand Leinster game in La- or New Zealand Ireland game in, in Lansdowne Road after we'd beaten them in America. It was a tough game, and we were going, "Geez, that was that was physical." And uh, we, we, you know, when we came back and everyone else we talked to us, oh, "It's the dirtiest game I've ever seen. It's a disgrace." I, I just didn't, I didn't think of it like that. Let me go back to the uh, um, provincial classic that was at the weekend, Derby Classic. Uh, he- here's a here's a. Throw it out there. Do you do you agree with this? Ask him first. Or not. James Lowe's spectacular uh, finish for his second try of the game saved an ignominious red card for Keith Earls, who intentionally knocked on the pass to him, which he caught behind his body and then finished spe- spectacularly. No takers mm, on that no, one? No, I didn't think he intentionally no. knocked on. He had both he hands jumped up, up in the air. With <clears throat> both hands going for a catch. Palms open. So you catch water, Pam. So don't catch with your fists. Like that? No. no like I, that for radio, by the way. It was. <laughs> <laughs> that was no. I I never thought of that. Okay, no one's buying that one now. No. Fair what enough. did you? So apart from all the refereeing decisions, what did you think of the match? Because I thought Munster's mall was very good. Brilliant I mall. thought that uh, territory and possession wise. Monster did very well. I thought that Carberry, with one particular highlight, uh, kicked better than he had done in previous games. So, he put he put the great kick into yeah. the corner. Mm. He also hoisted a few contestables rather than just kicking cross kicks. Um, but for all that, Munster lost by eight points. So I'm, I'm sort of curious, like, where do you think Leinster were good? Where do you think Munster lost out? Well... I think uh, obviously Lancer's tackling was extremely good. Defense and tackling, which are slightly different, um, very very coherent in in wider channels in terms of because there was a number of times when Munster had a man and a man half they didn't really exploit it that well, uh, and then Leinster's low first up tackling was very good throughout. Munster, well, Dan Goggin has got quite good reviews. And put in the first kick, which went long, and Gibson Park, excuse me, knocked on near the near the Lancer try line. Do you think that was a knock on? To be honest, no, I thought probably. Don't know. Uh, Coming off is pretty one eyed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought, apart from that, and while 
Van Grand said that his passing has improved since his time with the Sevens. I think that they had this extremely pacey back three in Earls, Conway, and Sweetenham. And then they had two centres who aren't that good at passing and don't really create space for anybody. Good at running into things. Um, and, you know, you can point to Goggin running over Levy because it was a big smash. But they didn't get the best out of Earls or Conway or Sweetenham at any stage. So you have Carberry, who is a 10 renowned for both running himself and also getting a backline moving. You have a very a huge amount of pace in your back three, but then you have centers who don't fit into what either people inside or outside them are trying to do. Um, I thought, as you said there, Munster Mall is, has been great for ever. Uh, they seem, I think they're, they're consistently the best mauling side in Europe. They don't have, sometimes Toulon have been better because they have better raw material to work with, especially when they had that, Mikko Tadzi used to play in a good few away games in Europe for them, the Georgian, who was probably the best mauler I've seen in the profession era, especially in terms of breaking up opposition malls. He was ferocious. But Munster's mall is so fundamentally sound. I think that they get... Uh, because they have, they have a good tight five who don't play a lot of international rugby. So they have a tight five who are good and play an awful lot of rugby together. And I think that helps them in terms of they know what they're doing in what is largely sort of a blind game. Yeah, it's a feel. The mall's all about feel and it's about getting the benefit of the combinations that you have. Um, and it's about a tightness. And I, uh, it certainly looked much tighter than Leinster's mall. Like I've always hated the truck and trailer. And... It's practically de rigueur, and I suppose it came in when you got penalised if the ball went out of sight. But that's not really the case with any laws. It, like you get penalised in rugby if you're not going forward. Mm. The team that's the team that's going forward will always get the benefit of the doubt in any match. Um, so I think it was it was certainly a feature. I have to agree with you about the midfield. I thought that uh, Goggin and Arnold are, are hard guys to criticise. Because you know they're so honest, they're so willing. But both young as well. Both young. Young players. Everyone likes to shit on old players. But um, I think Scannell, for as long as as long as everyone's fit, I think Scannell is in the midfield for Munster because he can't truck it up. But he's he's got a bit more than that. Um, he's probably got a better awareness than than any of the other Munster centres. Um, and I thought it was I think yeah the, the point about the tackling Leinster's tackling is interesting because I, I certainly thought that uh, Leinster stroke Lancaster have been emboldened by winning the double last year and to a sense the pressure is off that uh, Leinster went with a, a very conservative game that would fit the internationals back into it was basically a Joe Schmidt sort of pattern where they'd, they'd truck up a lot of one out ball it was it was certainly good for playing away European matches but notable the Sandy Park match um, and it contrasted with the previous season where Leinster had thrown around and yeah, gone attack, for a lot attack, of attack, yeah. attack 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 and they pushed a few passes at the at the weekend but they're the sort of passes that will increasingly stick uh which makes it, it basically makes leinster's uh approach more high risk which um has leinster could hide leinster could give some teams an absolute hiding mm. if if they're going to continue to play that with larmer and ring rose low low uh in their Sort of back five, back four, back five. Well, uh, my 
just to, my shortened take on the match would be <clears throat> uh, having the best player on the pitch in an attacking sense Ross Byrne. In, in James Lowe and the best out half on the pitch uh, on the day and I obviously I'm a big Joey Carberry fan but Ross Byrne kicked uh, every kick but he also kicked to from not just the tram lines but the touch lines and uh, in a game that was won by eight points it could have been a lot closer that was invaluable I thought his passing was excellent yeah but Leicester didn't have an awful lot of ball um, and I, I thought like that Joey Carberry was you know in terms of an individual battle they didn't they didn't engage each other yeah. on the same terms yeah. you know Joey ran and passed an awful lot Ross kicked more Joey got the kicks you'd expect him to get, didn't get the kicks you would be 50-50 on. Ross Byrne kicked everything right over the black dot. I think that's, it was sort of indicative of the, I think they both played true to form. I don't know if it came over in TV how well Ross Byrne struck the ball on his place kicks, Mm. but they never looked like missing. There was was this great sound. Paulie talks about it when he was playing uh, boys golf or junior golf, whatever the phrase is. About hearing uh, a, a, this naughty kid hit the ball, and he just goes a different sound. And it was it was Graham McDowell. Oh, okay. Um, who obviously? I thought you were going to say. Of course, I enjoy a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Drinks the odd beer from time to time. I'd kind of recommend the Mid Atlantic Twang. <laughs> that Ross boy was Arlene Foster. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different. It was a different. It's a different sound than the commoner garden man kicking a ball like at half time when you get these guys go out and like run around like it was he was just thumping and as soon as he left his boot he looked like he was, he was going to get it I have not always been a fan of Ross Byrne but the one thing that really struck me in the match was that um, as soon as Leinster got the ball after Keith Earls had been simbint Ross Byrne was he was coming right from left from over that sort of touchline over that tramline Ross Byrne put in a cross kick uh, to James Lowe to exploit where Munster were down a man. Six now, yards beyond James the, uh, <laughs> the, the execution of it was poor, but the idea was correct. And the idea is more important really than the execution because the next time that goes right. But the important mm-hmm. thing for me was the awareness of this where the, gap where is. the opportunity where the space was. Is. Like, you know, where were Munster going to be short? What was the quickest way to get the ball over there? And it didn't look a likely place. Like it was in his 22 or just outside his 20. It didn't look a likely place to put in that cross kick. And... I've, I've always kind of gone like what is game management like what are you talking about you're talking about kicking and creativity you're talking about passing but it was a really good option to take uh, from Ross Byrne now I also was looking at the table and we discussed a few weeks ago sort of Munster's forthcoming fixtures being Ulster, Leinster uh, Exeter, Exeter and, Gloucester. And, and Gloucester and where it would leave them at the end of it and what the sort of the humour would be towards Van Grand, what it would be like in the camp because Munster and Connacht are, um, are on the same amount of points mm. and, and Munster are ahead on, on points difference. So they're going to be spicy matches. Um, yeah. And Connacht looked good against Ulster. Mind you, talk about this. <laughs> like they just gave away penalty after penalty. Mm. And Ulster couldn't punish them because Ulster were playing the game in the wrong part of the pitch. Ulster just played everything in the half. I don't know if it's McFarland or Burns. Uh, they like going wide. They don't like kicking it. Everything stays in hand. And like, if you talk about high risk, there's not even any. There's not really that much reward 
the, the risk reward is skewed by playing that amount of rugby in your own hands unless you've got the skill set of the All Blacks or you've got carriers like Bowden Barrett and Ben Smith and yeah, Luani, you know, like exactly. I don't see that you've got huge, amazingly gifted, massive men in the middle of the pitch, like Retallick, the off-derided White Lock, not anymore. Um, and and Kieran Reid and all the All Blacks forwards, frankly. So is, is McFarland going to get criticised this season? Do you think, or is it is it a Russell? Free hit for him. Yeah, is it a free like is I it think, a resuscitation job for him? I think it's a free hit. Yeah, I, I think, think it's a free everyone hit for him. considers everyone considers Ulster to be broken. A bit of a basket case to use Brian O'Driscoll's phrase. Apparently they're doing a podcast as well at the moment, Trico uh, and some other lads. And uh, <laughs> uh, No, not at the moment. You won't be listening to this until tomorrow. Forget I said it. Um I think everyone considers Ulster to be a bit of a uh not a lost cause, but like coming from a lower base than they sh- than than they should be, and um, McFarland doesn't have a huge. He doesn't have any baggage. personal public reputation yeah. for people to hang shit on him. So I think everyone's going to give him, the, you know, as long as he wins a load of games. Red also, just the, the basic thing as well. A basic thing, not the basic. A basic thing is. Everyone knows the names of the players who have retired now or who, who, who aren't there. Most of you have retired. Um, Tommy Bow, Andrew Trimble, Jared Payne. Like, there's going to be a massive drop-off from those guys. Like That's two lines and a former uh, Europa Players Player of the Year. And Tommy Bow is a double Europa Players Player of the Year. So those guys are amongst And then you have Jackson and Oling gone as well. Piatau gone, who whose loss will not be felt as much as Bow or Payne or Trimble because he was there for a shorter period, but was like it was an outstanding talent. So their talent level, especially in their backline, has fallen off an absolute cliff. It's fallen off. Like I can't even recall something like that happening in in any other Irish province in the. You know, 20 years of professionalism. Nobody has lost that much talent in one season. Could I argue Draco is in a sea with Sexton all leaving yeah. Leinster? Yeah. The numbers aren't as big, though. The no, players players are players are better, but the numbers aren't as big. Hmm. And and that's an issue for... Like, they're... Um, they are just... Their depth in their squad is is dreadful at the moment. And I can see it again. Like it's not. It's not so long ago that Ulster were a you know in massive trouble and finishing second to third last in in the Magnus League for three seasons in a row, and then had that big influx of money from the IRFU to get two bases of players in South Africans and New Zealand World Cup winners. And I could see that happening again because you you don't need like Ulster being a a lame duck fourth best province in Ireland is not what the IRFU wants. They want that for Connacht. They don't want a lame duck. They don't want a lame duck province. Yeah, they don't want a lame duck. So, I, I think that it's... I wouldn't be surprised. I know that there's issues with the amount of sponsorship coming into the Six Nations and how much money there will be in IRFU coffers if the if the money goes down as drastically as has been rumoured from 14 million down to 9 down to 6 
um, there will be less money in the international game. But I think that there's, I don't think you can count on Ulster to all of a sudden start producing enough of their own players to fill the gaps that have been created over the over the course of a season, season and a half at most. Um, so Ulster to me, and we, we talked about briefly earlier about the pecking order in, in the provinces. Ulster to me are clearly um, at the bottom. And to me, Connacht and and Munster are neck and neck. I, I, I didn't see when, in the, in the Leinster-Munster match, I didn't see a huge, a huge amount of reasons for people were saying that that was Munster's best performance of the season. As they were going, that wasn't great. You know, I, ex- I expected more from from Munster uh, at the start of the season, especially. I thought they'd come in roaring. And, you know, in reality, uh, they've won three, lost three. All their losses have been away, and they haven't got a losing bonus point in any of their losses. Some of the fans not happy with that. Thunder's in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. A mighty cheer went up from the heroes of Shelbyville. They'd banished the awful lemon tree forever because it was haunted. Now let's all celebrate with a cool glass of turnip juice. On to a slightly uh, tangential point uh, around the uh, provinces and the idea of pecking order. Um, last Saturday saw Sean O'Brien's first high-profile game back in the Leinster back row. Oh, playing, that's Sean O'Brien. Playing at eight. This week, he's back in the number 20 jersey. Um, we have made an off-mic, com- off-mic comparisons about, well, perhaps the number 20 jersey is his best position, and you made the uh, excellent comparison, I thought, as the uh, Shawnee as Studge for the uh, non-Liverpool fans. That's Daniel Sturridge. Um. Ireland's uh, there's no Ireland back row being picked this week or at least for another month or so but where would it be 6, 7 and 8 big game against New Zealand on today's form I don't think today's form is are you asking me just about on today's form like who would be the 6, 7 and 8 in the country Um, Van der Fleer is the easy one for me I think Uh. he's Outstandingly the best seven. I think I think if you're talking about like who played well last week, um you'd look at Van der Fleer, the real Sean O'Brien from Connacht, and Nick Timoney as your number eight, because like if you're if you're just talking about it like, on a weekly basis and you don't know what anybody else has done, I'd I don't know, would you differ on any of those? That's what I was trying to I was I was quickly trying to think in my head of of I don't think that um I don't think that I thought Sean O'Brien, uh, Leinster Sean O'Brien had a, a decent game at uh, number eight, and I thought that CJ Stander had a decent game at number eight. Neither of them stood out in any regard. Um, Timothy's sprint in against Connacht at the end was incredible. Absolutely amazing. After 80 minutes of rugby, to run away from over 55 or 60 metres from the Adio Lucan was the sort of thing that gets you noticed on an international sense because at first he, it's outstanding pace. His running form was flawless. You know, a full sprint all the way. But also his fitness level after a tough fought international or interprovincial game, his fitness level to be able to produce that form, that pace, that awareness, 
to you know be in the right position to get the intercept was or pick up the pick up the pass rather was it was first class um so uh, i was really impressed with him you know that's not a that is not a popular or fashionable back row and i don't think it's the back row that would get picked against the all blacks but you know it also points it, to the fact that there is competition there it, and that it was a very specific question yeah. and i think that given what happened during the summertime oh man say it was a good question and <laughs> <laughs> i say that that's not my role uh Omani and standard nailed down their test positions uh and a lot of it was to do with competition um which you, you well you, you were alluding to it you probably haven't seen enough of it um, in Irish, I don't think you've seen enough in the Irish back row, but I think that like when Conan played beside Stander, Stander put in a great match in the third test. Mm. And I think when Tyg Byrne toured with the possibility of playing number six, I think Peter Amani played his best two matches for Ireland in a row. Mm. Probably like, okay, look, if you want to argue, he, he got dropped in again. He won man of the match against England uh, in the taking the wheels off the chariot match mm-hmm. and has been in the Irish team ever since. But he, um, aside from that, well, best man he's played for Ireland. Those games against the, the two matches. Yeah. So he nailed on because it's it's really hard to get up to that level of, of playing at international. So he he's nailed on if, mm. as long as he's fit. Um, he's nailed on to start and possibly as captain, depending on where best he is. Now the the sort of the difference I would say is their ability to communicate with referees. Is that uh, as much as Bestie seemed to get up the snot of the referee of the uh, the Ulster Connacht match? Uh, Ireland are poor at communicating with referees. Like we well, just we just don't get anything. Peter O'Mahony convinced I'd say about I don't know four million people in Ireland that Keith Earls was going for the ball when he high tackled James Lowe early last Saturday. Let's change subject. <laughs> um, and then, and then I think in the back row, you're. I think Levy played so well that Levy is Levy has is the starting seven, and I think Van der Fleer is putting him under real pressure. So that's that's going to be a very interesting start because obviously Van der Fleer was started uh, ahead of Levy at the beginning of last year's Six Nations, and he's he's, he's in at seven uh, now. You could that's you could say that speaks to Levy's versatility against Wasps. Van der Fleer is named at seven, and Levy's named at six. Yeah, um, and I think. It's it's probably a reminder of how quickly things can, can change. Like Sean O'Brien gave an interview at the beginning of this year. Now he hardly played. An, I don't think he played at the another beginning full of match. Twenty January, yeah. January twenty eighteen, uh, and a lot of the stuff that he said was was completely legitimate. But there was a few things in it that struck me as clangor. So I went looking it up, and one of the things was uh, if there was a final in the morning, I'd probably play. Probably the clientele we were coming up against was one thing, and the importance of the game. And the other thing that struck me about it was like no one called him up on it. Like my memory of that match when Leinster played Exeter in the Aviva was how much it changed when Dan Levy came on. Like I was looking at going, mate, like there's only one outstanding background. There's two, there's Don Armand and there's Dan Levy. And like it wasn't you. And it reminded me of when our cousin came back from New Zealand. He'd been down in Christchurch and they'd gone to see a Crusaders match and it was on a Friday night and they went out later on in the evening time and a few of the team were out and they got chatting at a you know, brief sort of fan-to-player conversations, one of which was Richie McCaw, and I think they were asking McCaw about playing against Ireland. And McCaw's reaction in a nightclub, in his home city, at whatever, like 11 or 12 at night, was, if selected. <laughs> like, and that, that, that difference of approach really struck me at the time. So... 
Sean O'Brien has got an uphill battle to get into the Leinster starting team. I agree. Um, Levy's form last season was sensational. Uh, Van der Fleer has started off this season in sensational form. Sean O'Brien played really well for the Lions. Like, how many months ago is that now? A year and a half ago. You know, and then, and then didn't really play any rugby. Mm. And he has this incredible list of surgeries behind him. 20 surgeries or something like that. And he'll turn 32 in in February, I think. So realistically, you're looking at guys... Who, I think Van der Fleer was born 93, Levy 94. Sean O'Brien's 87. So you're looking at guys who are six and seven years younger than them and have much potentially, you know, all going... Uh, swimmingly a much longer future ahead of them against this guy who is who has had a crap injury history and realistically will Sean O'Brien play until he's 34? I don't think he will and the point you were making uh, like Sean O'Brien is an, an asset to Leinster and he's, he's an asset to the IRFU so you've got to think like how do I get as much return as I possibly can and that sounds like a very cold way to approach it but in, in, in a game with as much physical contact, I remember when Sean O'Brien and Heaslip signed because they signed within weeks of each other and um, there was much relief that, oh, it's great that they're both staying. But like Sean O'Brien hardly really played for Leinster and probably played his best rugby for the Lions after that. And you're sort of going, it's a bit of a waste of money. Like what, what difference would it have made to anybody if he'd gone over to play for Toulon? Like Ireland... You know, Ireland might have lost out, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't. You know, wouldn't have made a, a great difference to where Ireland finished in in that season anyway. Like it didn't cost a grand slam, uh, and Jamie he still played and played and played, and then just didn't play at all. And in a week where Conor Murray has hasn't played this season and has agreed like a, a mega money deal, you you have to sort of just and like everyone's delighted that Conor Murray is staying in Ireland he's going to be playing in the World Cup and you, I don't think that was ever in doubt and it was really just a matter of like how big the figure was going to mm. be but you go there's a lot of risk with these guys and like it makes sense for Leinster to get as much as they possibly can out of Sean O'Brien as an asset and you sort of go like play him on the bench if, if that's what works better because he covers 6, 7 and 8 mm-hmm He's and he need like huge you want him impact, and you're sort of going well. You know, if Levy and Vanderfleer are gone, you want, and like is Shawnee going to be in the team? Like Joe Schmidt is obviously a fan, um, but he's not that much of a fan that he didn't bring him over to Chicago. He left him at home when he hadn't played enough when Ireland went over to Chicago. So he's not he's not that much of a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense for Leinster to want him to play as much as possible. Presuming that the other two lads are off in the Ireland squad, like presuming that the the two slots like uh, Omani and Stander have them nailed down at six and eight, um, and Levy and Vanderfleer between them would, you know, one is a yeah. starting seven and one gives you enough flexibility across. That's your that's your first four, right? It makes sense for Leinster to want to play as much as possible as Sean O'Brien and not sort of like manages game timers or any that sort of stuff. It's just like get get what you can from them. Yeah, and that's that's what we talked about briefly there before we went on air is that the idea of 20 jersey is best position in that you you get 25 minutes to half an hour of rugby from more frequently than you get 
Sean is like he, he played, played against Connacht and he came on for 55 minutes and then he was good he, yeah he was really, like he's he's fucking great like he's a really good player you yeah. know coming across as the Sean O'Brien moaning error uh, which it hasn't been an hour um, <laughs> give it time yeah. give it that's an old one um, but then you know the next piece of news on Sean O'Brien is that he sat out the captain's run for the Munster game and you're going oh really that's all too that happens all too often like I remember Bill Belichick was uh, talking about when Mike Vrabel the linebacker retired from the Patriots or maybe he's just moving team Bill Belichick gave this sort of elegiac send off which he never gave to anybody but he talked about what what Rabel had and it was exactly what he looked for he said competitiveness intelligence durability versatility like and durability is such an important factor in in rugby uh, and like players do pick up injuries but you can you can't just say oh that's that's just unfortunate like it, it's it's a negative effect you know it's a negative effect not being able to play not being able to play six matches in a row you know that you have to be managed at all stages of the season from the start to the end the draw is being managed one game on one game off so if Sean O'Brien is, is going to be you know game and a half on and then a week off you're going well can we get him to play three 30 minutes in a row is that does that make more sense because rugby is to borrow an increasingly tired arrangement of words it's increasingly a 23 man game but it just is mm-hmm. whether you call them subs or finishers or there's some other fucking impact players. One. impact players or finalizers or nonsense I remember someone Harlequins or somebody had a particularly stupid one recently it, it's true Mm-hmm. You do need, and the idea that you could bring Sean O'Brien off a bench, that's going to scare more opposition, not scare them, but worry more opposition coaches than bringing Josh van der Fleer off a bench. Sean O'Brien's reputation, uh, which he's earned, is still extremely high. And Sean is going to be bullying. Yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he's going to believe, and, and part of the, the opposite side to that sort of stuff, oh, like, you know, if it's a final tomorrow I play, is that huge belief and that huge confidence and that experience of having produced in the, in, played in the biggest matches and having produced in the biggest matches. Um, like, I think McCaw said he was one of the, the few players that he actually yeah. had to play. Him and Dusatoir, yeah. Him and Dusatoir. Like, that is an incredible company to keep. Yeah. Um, but it, we're also being pragmatic. And I, like, it's a shibboleth, the two shibboleths. Well, there's more than two, but two of the shiblets in, in Irish rugby, which uh, are, you can't criticise the AAL. Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, people are just at pains to say how great the AAL is all the time. It's such a great standard. It's this and that. Like, there are shit games in the AAL. You know, there are good games as well, but there's also shit games. And also just... I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, saying anything... Um, that's not entirely complimentary about Sean O'Brien because you know a lot of people, a lot of people really identify with him. Well, to follow on from the uh, allusion I made earlier to your comment about Sean O'Brien as Daniel Sturridge, my opinion of Daniel Sturridge is that he had a uh, not a Damascene conversion, but some kind of conversion where he realised that running the channels at West Brom 
with dodgy hamstrings wasn't actually the, the thing to do and that he'd be better being an impact player at Liverpool. Do you think there's any chance Sean O'Brien has made that realisation? Or I mean, if we accept this whole premise that like he's going to be better at number 20 jersey. No, I don't think so. I think he's a massive competitor and he's always going to think he's better than Levy or van der Fleer. And his his peak is was exceptional. But I would, my contention is that he was better in... 2012 and 2013 than he was in for the lines in 2013 like his his match against the All Blacks uh, in Lansdowne Road I remember we were doing the rook marks then and he was just he wasn't just ahead of everyone on the rook marks he was ahead of everyone in everything like tackles carries passes it was you know he was like he was absolutely amazing around that that time but since then it's been injury 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 you know Ireland won the Six Nations completely without him last year. Um, Leinster won the Heineken Cup. Leinster won the Heineken won the Cup in the league. For the most, but certainly in 2018, he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Well, then, secondary question then. If you say six and eight are probably sewn up uh, a fully I don't think eight's sewn up. Competition at eight is Jack Conan. Well, let, let me finish my premise anyway. Let's say if we're following our... our uh, our conversation earlier on, we say six and eight and a fully fit Ireland are probably um, the most so two of the most secure jerseys. Like they're really important players who've contributed lots mm. of team and they've performed brilliantly on tour. Seven is a competition looks like between Van der Fleer and Levy, but if you're picking a twenty jersey, you're not picking the other of you're not picking Van der Fleer on the bench because he, he plays seven. You might pick Levy, but then you've only got one player who plays eight. So would you still pick Sean O'Brien as your twenty then? Well, I think it's. I think the twenty jersey is. It's a really good role for him. Really good. Twenty role for, for Ireland him. though, as in like he's not playing those games. Maybe twenty. Maybe twenty for everyone. If, yeah. If if that's what. Um, he's he's in that role this weekend, and, uh, I, I like I really think it works. I, I agree with you that. You know, say you've got say you've got Van der Fleer on the bench, you can sort of argue that you could put Levy at number eight. But I think if Shawnee is is playing that role every week, he it could work out really well for him. Is he ever going to accept it? Is he going to have that sort of West Brom running the channels? He's he's never. Uh, what do we talk about? Like you know, starting against the Dragons away or against Zebra away? Like is that the equivalent where you kind of realise you know like that that Sunday fixture where the, the Six Nations matches have all been on Friday and Saturday night and you're mm. playing Zebra away on a Sunday. Mm. Uh, is he going to start in that match? He might. Uh, is that is that when you realise that like it's not 2013 anymore? 2013 was five years ago? Maybe. But was the trade-off not um, missing the Grand Slam, the uh, double for Leinster and an Australian tour, which he, which he would have... He, he could have played a central role in had he not basically committed himself so physically to playing so many games for the Lions in such a short amount of time after injury but the Lions was the trade-off uh so like the player management program and then you see these guys going over and they're playing three matches in one week and it it, it really surprised me the last time around how much the players got out of the Lions like whenever 
the first rugby team that you're involved with that you get free swag, be it a bag or tracksuit bottoms hoodie. or a hoodie. Hoodie and uh, bag. Like, it never leaves you. And you see guys giving, like, I think Dev Toner and, like, had some... Was it a charity shop in Navin or in Dublin no, 8? Yeah, Maynooth, wasn't it? Maynooth. And <laughs> there was queues going out the door. And, like, it, the place got mobbed. Um, so, like, you know, you end up with just this room full of gear that, you know, you, you sort of, you've had a baby or something like that. And, like, you, you need to make space. So that's where it gets given away. But Who's buying Devon stuff? Like, he's <laughs> six foot ten. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the line swag just... The lads just seem to get like... They love it. They just love it. it. It seems to be such an important thing for players. And last Lions tour was the first time that I just found myself scratching my head just there going, Ugh, I don't see where this fits. Um, and I think that Johnny Wilkinson was extended the invitation and then just sort of said, no, like I'm getting paid by Toulon. I got Bougelas paying me. I'm going to have to turn you down very discreetly. And I just can't see him being the last guy. But... Sean O'Brien was not that man. Like, Sean, he absolutely played himself into the ground. He wasn't the only guy. Jesus, like, Warburton's retired. Warburton, yeah, I was about to say it. Yeah, but it, it does mean this enormous amount to them. And I don't think it's all about the history of the Lions. I think that there's, you know, from the time that they start playing rugby and they're the best player in their team, that there's, like, a next team up, um, a seed that gets planted in their heads. Next team up, you're always striving to be on the better team. And it's to challenge yourself, to play with better players, and also just to receive the kudos of being, you're the best player in this team, you get to, you're get you on the next team up. So if you start in Tullow, Leinster Utes, Irish Utes, you get uh, Irish under-21s. Sean O'Brien, I think, was the last. I think he played for the under-21s, and then it changed to the under-20s is my recollection that the 2007 was the first year of under 20s and he was on that team that won the grand slam so irish 20s he was in he was playing for leinster the next season so you're playing leinster and you start off and at that stage the celtic league and you won against the heineken cup team once you're in the heineken cup team you're in you're in the shop window for possible selection for the international team and i remember one of uh frano's articles from when frano used to be good so frano is good from when he used to be good <laughs> was uh was when he talked about the pecking order of caps when you're capped you know um that a cap in a summer tour to you know america, america. Namibia. Namibia. <laughs> <laughs> like it gets a cap you you have the cap if you're if it's your first cap but that's the bottom you know and then it's a november international um and that's the next one up. And then but the Six Nations cap is the real that's the real selected for Ireland cap. But then when the World Cup came on the scene, it was like, oh, the World Cup is because it only comes once every four years. That's the biggest cap that you want. So then the the only place you can go from that is being selected for the Lions. It's the last next team up. And yeah. it's just a seed that's been planted, like that doesn't change. That you always want to go to the next team up. You always want to make the highest represented team you can make, and just collect loads and loads of gear. He just bursts through the defence. They don't build him like that anymore. He won't like that. He's one of a kind. Looking forward to Europe over the weekend. 
Leinster have made five, six changes. Nine. Nine changes. Nine changes right. in the starting 15 and one positional change. Nine personnel changes. James Lowe retains his place, as does Henshaw. Um, Rob Carney retains his place. There's uh, Nick McCarthy makes a appearance on the bench. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, Lowe is undroppable. Secondly, Gibson Park picked up and rolled his ankle, I believe, in the uh, in the game against Munster. Um, and then Friday was deliberately rested against uh, Munster. So I think the intention was always to... I, I think the intention was probably to to play Friday in this. And it's turned out that... Um, it's turned out that like James Ryan and Devin Toner performed, I thought, exceptionally well together. And that Friday's more possibly more useful on the bench. What do you think? I would have said that the competition was more in the back row than in the second row. I, mm. I thought that the two lads, we were talking about durability, uh, like Dev Towner. Unbelievable. Just just keeps on trucking. And I, I was talking to somebody and he said, you know, he's useless. That Devin Towner. Who said like, that? I remember really, this. Like, this I really nine years Dev. ago. So then he tried it again with somebody else. And the other guy just said, says, oh no, Dev Towner's very good. <laughs> These guys do different things. Dev Toner brings an awful lot. And there so he still seems to divide some opinion, but not here. Like he's he's played really well this season. He played really well last season. He's really? divided. So where does that leave Fardy? It leaves him competing with uh, Dan Levy, Vanderfleer, and Jack Conan. You think and he's more more, Le- in more the Levy row? and Vanderfleer. I think with the two second rows playing as well as they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're I think he's he's I see him more as a six. Yeah. Like, I mean if I look, if I was picking the team. I'd want to have th- those three lineered options on my team. I yeah. couldn't bring myself to bring to drop Tahoner the way he's playing. I couldn't bring myself to bring, drop uh, James Ryan. Yeah, who's like your best forward. Yeah, like, he's better than Ty Furlong. Um, so then I'm sort of going like, where do we get Fardy in? He's great. I'll play him at six. Yeah, and then it's just a question of Levy or Vanderfleer at seven. Yeah, uh, and. Jack Conan, Jack Conan. I know is you're, one not of these guys, you're not Jack a huge Conan fan. Jack Conan is one of these guys that fascinates me because I thought that his inclusion in the third test really produced a performance from Stander. Thought Conan I didn't did well think as well. That Conan played badly, and I I sort of made the contrast in my head between Conan and Larmer, and just that like Larmer has that star ability. Larmer played really well in the snippet that he. Like he didn't start any of the bits, but he was on and everything. Mm. And like he just shone. He just looked really well. Like he gets the ball against, you know, like a Southern Hemisphere test team in a tight test match down there, and he scares. Like he's just like Hedy Hedy and Mark that. Mm. Um, but I think that Conan did a lot of stuff really. Like, he, and you're sort of going if you're advising Conan, you're just there going, just concentrate on the stuff that you're really good at. Just like just make that your game and. Like make all those tackles, just get on the ball more, mm. carry the ball. Like you're really good at this, and you sort of hope that the confidence of getting picked in that third test match—it's um, one of those intangible things that you can kind of roll your eyes at—would really help. That he wasn't just brought down to Australia and carried bags, and sort of he's kind of gone like, "What am I here for?" Uh, like he played in that deciding test match, he was starting in that deciding test match, so. It's 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 interesting that he's been picked at eight because it means that Fardy isn't. It means that Sean O'Brien's on the bench. Um, I, so hopefully he produces it. Yeah, like I'm I'm more of a Conan fan, I think, than uh, than you are. But I nevertheless 
agree exactly with with everything you've said there. He is particularly good at things. Like he is one of the best, you know, straight up tacklers in Ireland. If you look at his, if you look at his body of work from last year, and then you look at how statistically good he uh, he turned out, it's I would say probably the most effective, the most effective tackler in the country in the, in the pro ranks. I I think that Leinster could really do a job in Wasps, and I think that the challenge for Leinster is when I look at that team and I look at that bench, I go, man, like that's that's a strong like confidence yeah. must be really high. It's always one of the things about a World Cup winning team and like it's incredible that New Zealand won down in South Africa, is that it plays really well for the following for the two years after a World Cup because there's such confidence, there's such belief from those guys that they are the best in the world and there's like just how much that means. Yeah, it doesn't that, go that belief. It, it doesn't like go, it doesn't, doesn't trip away. You have you have that certainty that you know how to win matches. So like many you're athletes in a say it. room you know, beforehand looking around at the other guys and you're going, There's no way we're losing. Yeah. There's mm. like there's no way we're losing. So many athletes say this like, Oh, they'll never take that away from me. And you know, nobody wants to take that away from you but I don't think it that they're actually saying like people are going to take like the Wanamaker trophy away from you or something like that it's that they can't take that confidence away from you that you've been the best in the world you know I don't like even remember when Butch James went to the English League after yeah uh, and he was like Butch James was probably you know probably the worst World Cup winner yeah he was the worst you know oh he's definitely the worst (laughs) but when he came down and and Turned up in uh, the Premiership time, he was red hot. Yeah, you know he was probably he, most of the time he looked like the best player in the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, and you're going, Jesus, Bush is really good. He's just playing at the height. He's realised that he has, he's achieved essentially what he wanted to achieve, and he was good enough to achieve that. Well, sorry, the, whoever like Colin Snow. Uh, well, the guy who started, the Cruden started 2000. I'd say Cruden. Butch James. Did Cruden start the final? Cruden started the final and Duzatoire smashed him and then Beaver came on. Have they not already wiped out Cruden by the time the final came around? No, no, no. no, no. That was, that was Colin Slade was wiped out. Colin Slade, Slade was wiped out. So look, I'm, I'm, I'm being, maybe I'm being facetious. Maybe I'm sort of dismissing Butch too early because I remember him coming, coming down with that confidence and he was just, and he was obviously good because he was a World Cup winner in yeah. half. Like, and it was late in his career. Like, he, he was a different Butch James than the high-tackling hothead. Monster. He was, like, smashing guys as an out-half. It was a great <laughs> attribute to have. Um, and the thing is, I wonder, like, how can Leinster sustain that all the way through the season? And I think that's one of the challenges and one of the reasons that it, it's it's interesting that they're playing that higher risk because Lancaster, Stroke Cullen, has to keep them engaged mm. and has to sort of and Sexton, go. Sexton's been poking them by saying we've lost better players than we've replaced them with. He said that I think twice in interviews. Obviously, East is a massive loss, but he's like we've lost Carberry, we've lost, we've lost. We're, we're not like as good a squad as he was last year, as we were last year. So Sexton's poking them as well. Yeah, because it looks like a hell of a strong team, and that's one of the things, like. The, the some of the coverage of the the recent game against uh, the Leinster Munster game has been. Was um, there a Leinster Munster game? <laughs> you know, it's been so much of it is focused on Munster because Munster is it's a more interesting story at the moment. Um, 
Leinster are portrayed as this personalityless winning machine and uh, Munster is more which is frankly heroic quest yeah heroic quest heroic quest Munster or Liverpool I've always thought that yeah but Mm. it's also running emotion it's all yeah running emotion but there's also if you're pejorative about it you say it's more of a soap opera you know Um, whereas Leinster is like prime time or some fucking board program like that Leinster's like Juventus or Bayern Munich or something yeah to continue my rich you know, industrial so cities <laughs> yeah so no but there is a good analogy it is a, it is a decent analogy to continue on your point about uh, the confidence of Leinster a year ago there were players in the Leinster team who we all thought were very good but in the year since like the likes of Larmer Ringrose um Porter, Ryan. Porter, Ryan, yeah, exactly. Have all, like, not just established themselves as Ireland internationals. They've, they've won everything. won the fucking lot. And, like, that's that's got to add to the confidence. Like, the way, when you look around and go, geez, we've got some really talented young players here. He's like, we've got some, like, you don't even, you barely even look at, at Larmer as a a prospect anymore. You're just going, like, oh, he's a prospect in the sense that he goes, he's probably going to get better. Mm. We already know he's fucking great. I I think Larmer was probably probably should be in either second or third year of the academy now. Yeah, it, well, one of the things Sorry, that I, it was uh, it was one of the newspaper articles, and they're talking about the guys that Leinster were going to bring back and the high profile, and it was something like four high profile names. And I was thinking, no, hang on, there's a fifth. And I was thinking Larmer, like Larmer's not mentioned. Yeah, in the cadre of guys they were going to bring back. But then looking at the team, it also struck, like, he dropped Fergus McFadden. Like, yeah. every coach who, like, Ferg is involved with loves him because he brings so much every single time. Like, but he gets dropped for Larmer. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. Nobody drops for... I remember when... Uh, do you remember he scored a hat-trick against America the same summer as uh, the Lions sword to Australia? Yeah, 2013. And Les Kiss just gave him... the. Big, most glowing write-up I have heard from... Neskis was the uh, interim coach before Joe Schmidt took over. Uh, so he coached that tour. And he gave him the most glowing write-up I've ever heard. Because he wasn't going to be... He wasn't going to be there afterwards, you know, to deal with it. Like, to deal with the, the flack that comes when you have to drop McFadden for somebody, you know, who's more, you know, perhaps faster or more naturally talented. He'd done his two stints. He just goes... This guy deserves everything he gets. He's such a competitor. He's a brilliant guy to have in any squad. And I think that's uh I, I think that's true and it's also reflected in you know he is not a fashionable player, but he's got thirty odd caps for Ireland. He scored double figure tries at test level, played almost 175 games for Leinster. Put out that great tweet after he got that enormous ovation in his <laughs> last match. Yeah, so he's he's well. I actually would have if I was. Um, I think uh, the outside back cover for Leinster's game against Wasps is Joe Tamani. Tamani, yeah. And to me, it's a twenty-three job. Is is Ferg's first, and then Royal Auckland second, and then Joe Tamani. I'm not sure why Tamani is has got the nod in in that regard. When you anyway. put it like that, yeah. Uh, further field. Munster have a very tough game. Extremely un- unenviable start to a European campaign away 
at Exeter in Sandy Park. Windy where, Park. Where I think, um, oh yeah, and it's a stormy weekend as well. So um, I felt like the, uh, the, the ambitions of Leinster's season undefeated in the European Cup. Last right? year? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were, were no, like, not just undefeated, won every game. Were, won every game in the European Cup. Uh, were uh, steeled in Sandy Park in the away win in December last year. I thought that was one of the most defining wins of the, of the entire campaign. It's a brilliant match. And it was, I, I think it was kind of like it was a, uh, I don't know, what's, what's, the, what's the terminology? When someone, like, it's a kind of like, you know, a, a coach's match, or like where, you know. One for the purists. Yeah, one for the purists. That's where we're going. Find the appropriate cliche. Yeah, exactly. The appropriate cliche. One for the purists. Um, Munster have to start their campaign there. Uh, and they've obviously got a great record in Europe um, throughout their entire history, even in their lean periods. They're particularly good in Europe. But uh, that's a terrible place to start a European campaign. I yeah, think. yeah, and I think the the really interesting thing about that match is that which match their their game the Exeter Exeter yeah, the Munster Monster. Exeter Munster match is that half of it is made for Munster. So Munster's mauling has been so good, and with the inclusion of Joey Carberry and with the way that Van Gran has wanted them to play, they've then played this kind of out the back wide game. And I'm not saying that the the two don't marry together, but I don't think it's coherent at the moment. I think that playing a wide game when you've got two centres who are limited doesn't work. And why would you bring it away from a morning game when it's your best bit? Mm. So nice. how they how how Munster play against Exeter will be fascinating and because yeah. Sandy, I don't think people in Ireland give enough understand like how difficult it is to get anything down in Sandy Park mm. I think the fact that like from because Exeter were so new to rugby I know people like see the results from the premiership but we don't care um, and that was the first exposure people had to Exeter but it is like what a difficult place to go down and play and, and like what an incredible man I mean it was, it was Leinster's performance of the season winning down there and for the particularly the, I think the most notable style, one of the most notable things about the extra style of play is the fact that they often don't commit a lot of men to a breakdown and will fan out very thin. Yeah, on defense. On yeah, on defense. And like, if you're going to play wide against that, they're just going to tackle you out wide and continually tackle you out wide. The other um, really standout thing on the strategic rather than tactical side is so much of their game is based around retaining possession, wearing teams down, uh, exploiting exploiting uh, um, the difference in energy expenditure between tackling and carrying and the difference in the ebb and flow of psychic energy, uh, that if you consistently have the ball, you will get less tired, even though you're getting tackled. I can't explain that. Um, presumably, it just takes more effort uh, in terms of more calorific expenditure to make a tackle than it does to be tackled but Exeter keep a shitload of ball famously so they're famously uh, well I'm not sure if famous is the right word but they're renowned for their time in possession and also the amount of time the ball is in play in matches Munster had an awful lot of the ball against Leinster and made 
weren't particularly effective with it. So if they're going to be restricted with the amount of ball that they have, where are their points going to come from? They can maul as, as well as probably better than any other team. Will it be enough to get them? Uh, I think I think a win is is too big an ask for this monster team who have been poor in away matches thus far. Um, so I think will will their mall and their half on half off w- w- wide game be enough to get them a losing bonus point? I mean, well, and is it's too early to say if a, a losing bonus point, but so often a losing bonus point is the thing that gets you into. Yeah, you know every point counts. Every yeah. point counts in that competition. Yeah, mm. we'll see. We'll see. I reckon Ulster will beat Tigers. Tigers, Tigers. Are, Tigers aren't good. I think Ulster win. aren't good, but Ulster will win at Ravenhill. Yeah, it's it's, it's a difficult. If it's a difficult place to play, Ravenhill is tough. I know. Like Connacht were, in, they seemed by far the better team, and they still sort of, not that they struggled over the line. They were, you know, convincing winners. But if that had been in the sports ground, that could have been thirty points to twelve or eight. Like they were much the better team. I think with Ulster, there's a big difference between their their first team should it ever play, and what's going to play most weeks. So I think. If if you had Marty Moore playing a tight head and playing as much as sixty to sixty five minutes and presuming a fit Marty Moore, so you know, there's a big question mark over that. If you had Jordy Murphy playing at number seven, uh which would like Timothy's not a number seven as good an all an athlete as he is. So yeah. if you had Jordy playing at number seven and Reedy on the bench and you probably play Jordy something you've moved Jordy somewhere and get really game time and a fit Marcel Cotsia, which again, there's a big question mark over that. If you had Hendy playing and Bestie playing, um, if you had Cooney making your kicks, if you've got Addison at full back, Stockdale. Pretty good. Stockdale. McCluskey. Uh, McCluskey. You know, McCluskey in the middle. Like if McCluskey... Like if, if yeah, he's injured at the moment. Louis Ludic back. If you have McCluskey making breaks and like Kutsia and Hendy running off him or Jordy running off him or Timoney running off him, uh, it's a lot better than Matty Ray. You know, so the, 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 there's the, there's a much bigger gap between Ulster's first choice and second choice team yeah. than, than there is anywhere and else. And I totally understand, I think completely understand why um, it's important that Matty Ray plays because Ulster have not had a lot of Ulster forwards in the last four or five years. And he's not a bad player, but um, there is a huge difference between what he gives you and what... Well, Marcel Cossier gives you. Exactly. You know, just a huge... There's a gulf in class. Cossier has been extremely unfortunate with injury. Now, he was... There was always... There's been question marks over his injuries for a long time. and I don't mean that in any way, but it's like... You know that he's injured. You know that he's prone to knee injuries. Like he's been signed. This is his third year, and he's like it hasn't been a good investment. No. And and Ulster, you know, this is sounds again callous, but Ulster owe him nothing. He owes Ulster everything. They've been paying him to do rehab. So like, if I was Ulster, I'd just pick him in every game. Play him eighty minutes in every game. So we were talking about the Devils. I have good. 
uh, proposition that Ulster just shouldn't constantly like, they shouldn't bother with this competition. Oh, it was, it was, yeah. uh, it was uh, proposed by Simon Hick, and I, I think he did. I think he was devil's advocating. When it, was this? When it was, was on it? the yesterday's. Uh, I, I talked about this ages ago. Um, I think it's uh, a non-runner because um, Ulster need to learn how to win some important games. They haven't done. No, so I don't in. think it's an. I think it's the right thing to do. Really? Yeah, do absolutely. You? What's this? To, to like not uh, competing well, in Pro Twelve is what the right thing to do is. Yeah, I'd. I'd it's an achievable. If you can achieve you, that. Also, are never going to fucking win Europe this year. Oh, I mean, they're not, they're not particularly not with the group they have. Yeah, they're going to they're, they're be to be very fortunate to. No, my my idea is exactly second, my idea of of how Ulster should approach the season is how Leinster approached the two thousand seven two thousand eight season under Cheka, uh, which is play your strongest team as often as you can play it in the league. Just pick the same team time after time. They'll get better by playing together. You decide on what your team is. Injuries always injuries like what they used to say for riots. PC rain dispels a riot. Injury is a selector. Injury provides opportunities for some players. Like players will not, and it's it's nothing to do. Well, it's more to do with than it used to be. But there's been injuries at every in rugby forever. Mm. There'll always be gas for people. I would just be if I was Ulster, I would be trying to win. Put out your Caribou Cup team in the Heineken Cup. Put out your S bars. More or less, yeah. It's not. It's not. You know, the Ulster fans might go. This is a shocking disgrace. We're not going to turn up to Ulster. But when Leinster got knocked out of the two thousand seven, like Leinster were knocked out around, like to lose. Beat us thirty points oh, yeah. to three. Sunday night. Yeah. Oh god, that was a terrible. Our game. season in Leinster was over pretty early in that two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But a lot of people, and I'd be one of them, would say that that season, when the entire front five of Ollie Larue, Bernard Jackman, Stan Wright, Leo Cullen, Mal Kelly, uh, all went, they were all selected for the Heineken Cup or not the Heineken Cup, but the Magnus League dream team, the so-called dream team, five, the entire front five were selected en masse because we just targeted the shit out of the, um, out of the, the Magnus League and that built, even though, you know, that team was sort of closer to a turnover, you know, than, uh, than Joe Schmidt's team, that built a huge, I mean, just I, winning a pot. It's interesting, I, 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 I just think, I just think Ulster have gone through a season where They've already been put through, uh, the fan base has already been put through the ringer uh, in terms of both the publicity. Maybe then turn up in Ravenhill, but don't yeah. don't send your teams out. Don't send your teams out to... Uh, like, to be yeah, honest, no one... No, no, I was going to say, like, do you remember Cast? Was it Cast? No, sorry, it was Borgwan. But someone, you know, getting beaten by fucking 70 points or 80 points. 92 or something. Enormous. No one remembers. Ajen. Repeating Tatarabuka. What was Ajen? That was Ajen, yeah. yeah. Beat Borgwan in the old land. We also beat Borgwan. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be... Sorry, go on. Anyway, uh, um, I, I would say uh, certainly Ulster, the uh, support paying on the door, it's difficult to not... Yeah, turn up at home. Like, win I'd your home be, games. I'd certainly be give it as much as a lash for the fans who keep on threatening to give in their season tickets, but you're there going, nah, you're not. If you have an Ulster seat, you're not giving it back. Oh. And I, like, 
give give those guys who've stood by that give them something to cheer for particularly in Ravenhill like turn over all those teams in Ravenhill make Ravenhill a fort like, now it's I'd, actually much more reasonable I'd, I'd definitely be like that I do think it no, is but I, but, but, but I think on that because you're sort of going through those teams like Ajahn and Borgo but you mentioned Cast and Cast won the Pro 14 not the Pro the Top 14 last yeah. year Cast yeah. yeah for the second time in Jeez, five years fucking hell's up and no, no the final. Final. And so, I've never seen so I've I never think, seen more I think that yeah. domestic uh the argument to to wait the like you'll really get a party if you win and you know the top 14 is maligned or not the top sorry, the pro 14 is maligned but which one's you, maligned you can't <laughs> beat well everybody wants to see sorry, the bouclier. is there, every, is there every, any rugby competition that is maligned everybody is, everybody yeah. everybody wants to see the bouclier come back to their town yeah uh, like it's magical now the pro 14 isn't the bouquet don't even know what the trophy looks like this season but like you get a buzz if you win it yeah. unless you're the cheetahs in which case <laughs> like, <laughs> you've got the curry cup to worry about yeah you know you've you've said that it suggests a much more sensible thing which is don't feel the weakened team in your in your home game. we'll try and win your home european games um and it's a, it's a difficult thing as a coach, a very difficult thing, and a risky thing to say, yeah, we're not really going to compete in the European Cup this year. You know, you could, that could really backfire on you. But having a good season in the league where you, where you win a lot of games, where you send out as strong a team as you can to, to knock over iffy enough teams because you've rested them for three games in one in October one in December and one in January and instead of sending over and having a 50-50 game against a team like Edinburgh you're sending out Marcel Coetzee and Ian Henderson and Jacob Stockdale mm. you know you still also don't yep. lose that many players to international call-ups yep. they lose realistically they're going to lose Ian Henderson Rory Best uh, Jacob Stockdale and Alan sometimes they'll lose Robbie Herring sometimes they'll lose Jordy Murphy maybe Cooney maybe Jordy maybe Marty Moore but maybe not yeah no not Um, Marty Moore I think I think if any team uh, chucks Europe it's Connacht like if you have to win the Challenge Cup in order to get into the the, the Champions Cup but you're, you're better off competing on the domestic front I was looking at the lineup of the Champions the Savage teams the Claremont are in it yeah the Ospreys are in it Leon uh, oh, not Leon but uh, Francais are in it as well, Bristol uh, Bristol have all the money uh, Stade Francais are in it Bordeaux are in it that's who Connacht are playing um, like they're never winning it the, like to win that competition is really going to take something uh, whereas finishing above Ulster and you know whatever whatever you have to do the, to, to qualify for Europe like Connacht Connacht have with, to go with domestic the idea that you, you, what six teams get into the playoffs so top three in each um, yeah there's like, a like, thing if there. you if you build your season towards getting to that you might be getting if you're if you're a team coming from the positions that Connacht and Ulster finished in last year if your team that finishes uh, even if, in the in the whatever third place in either conference you're on the up no matter what when you come into that and you've got the free shot to have a go at Ospreys or whoever else is like to be likely to be the uh, the second place finisher in the, com- in the opposing conference and you know give it a go is this in the challenge cup no no in the, in the, in the pro 14 as in like if you finish if oh you, if sorry you finish, 
in your third in either conference. Yeah. And like, and if I if I if I had a Connacht or Ulster finish uh, third in their respective conference, you know, it's a positive thing, and they're going into the playoff for the for the. I know what you mean. You're you're Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Exactly. Uh, you, you go back to the comparison between Connacht Munster and you sort of go the way like they're even they're even pegging at the moment in the same conference. I oh, absolutely like, think so. Yeah. If if you were. Like, if I was Connacht, I'd be just like, man, like, forget finishing third. Like, let's finish second. Yeah. Like, let's see if Munster, because Munster will get distracted by a battle on, on two. Two fronts. Two and, fronts. And international call-ups. And international call-ups. And you sort of go, like, Connacht's a terrible place to get picked for Ireland from. So you've got to have pretty much the same team, agree. minus Bundyaki yeah. throughout. And Connacht's pack is, like, <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah. Jimmy Duffy's a really good coach. Um... Connacht have a load of the same guys playing week in, week out. Yeah. Like for a load of the same seasons. Okay, so like Muldoon is gone. But I mean, that's about it. Um, Man, like... Ulton Delan looks back in really good fitness and form. His uh, his carrying um, in the last two games has been... As, do you remember when he, he came on the pitch against England? Yeah. And it, who did he, he bust? Everyone. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and when he's playing was against... Was yeah, I think what did Lonsbury go for a one up? Yeah, he just, got and just, just like ran over him. Yeah, and he was—he has been so his explosive power seems really uh, as good as it has ever been. So, but but when you look at Ireland's second row stocks, they're they're as high as they've ever they're been. They're deep, yeah. Yeah. Mm. you know. So he he might play a lot of games for Connacht this season in prime form with Quinn Rue. With Quinn Rue, you look at yeah, who's. With just yeah, a big, solid Beelham. Well, exactly. Buckley, one, one pushes. Yeah, Beelham. Sean O'Prine. Yeah. Look at the look, at, look at the hookers. Tom McCartney. Heffernan. Heffernan. You know, Beelham is a Beelham is a good. Beelham's beating the All Blacks. <laughs> you know, he's a good tight head. Yeah. Um. Uh. So Sean O'Brien in 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 terms of form the season form, I think he's he's performed uh, as the best. In my opinion, he's been the best. And you just don't see that team being broken up no. that much. And that's the one of the keys to Lamb's success in 15-16 was that he picked... There was about nine players who played, you know, between 1,700 and, and 2,100 minutes. It was uh, Matt Healy, Aki, Tiernan O'Halloran, all these guys. Yeah, yeah. Just a real John Muldoon, Marmion. Just an extremely solid core who went out week after week, got better as playing as a team together, and knew how they just—they were just a really they did a cast. coherent. They did a cast on it. Yeah, and that's that's how you know. I think that makes an awful like it's a it's a it's a difficult decision to make because if you get you saw how Ulster performed. Now it was an Ulster team that knew that of a lot of players due to injury, but. When they went down to Munster, like that was, that was they were shocking. Yeah, they were shocking. But they were, and they didn't get a, they didn't get the win against Connacht. Like they they lost a, a, a you know fifty year old winning streak. Fifty eight. But they when when they were like asked about it in the paper, they just said yeah that was like a, about the the loss to Munster in an interpro. So Connacht's going to win the Pro Fourteen. This I'm saying it.
Exeter, Exeter going to win in Europe and Connacht are going to win the Pro 14.